Hi and welcome to the podcast Schlagevännerna. My name is Emil Löfström and I was 11 years old 1997 when today's guest shocked the whole Europe in Dublin wearing some eyeliner and was dressed in latex. Welcome Paul Oscar. Hi, how are you doing? Very good. This sounds very innocent in many years today, but then I remember this was a big erotic shock for Europe. Well, at the time, back in 1997, Eurovision Song Contest, which I love and I adore, and I've been following this since I was a kid myself. At this time, the whole contest, it seemed to us that it, it wasn't quite following the trends it amazed me when Gina G came up in 1996 with Ooh, just a little bit. It was one of the first current pop songs that you had actually heard for quite some time in Eurovision. You know, as you all know, 1996 ended up with Ireland winning with a song that sounded a lot like Enya. Yeah. And this, uh, this simply bored me. At the same time in Europe, you know, German techno was taking form and disco and dance pop music, who everybody actually thought had died. It never did. It only changed forms. So it kind of amazed me that this new sound had not yet reached Eurovision. So in 1987, Roof here in Iceland, they really had no money to do any pre-selection contest. They simply picked up the phone and they called the pop stars of Iceland and they asked them if they wanted to take part or not. And I get this phone call, I think in January 97. And at the time I was a major, you know, up and coming pop star in Iceland. At this time I had been working here in Iceland professionally for like five years they give me a call and they asked me if i want to do this and luckily i had a song i had a demo of a song that uh, sounded pretty dramatic it's a it's a very peculiar song it sounds like a film score or church hymn And we agree on a melody and we agree that the song 
is there. This is the form of the song. That's when I can actually sit down and write lyrics. London, Paris, Rome. Urðu orðin tóm, gekk þann gilta breyða, blindaður af ást. Falskir kunningjar snerustu mig einan, fekk mér kaviar, núna er allt um seinan, því ég stífin Oh, ég kveð mitt líf með glans En ég yðra samt aldrei neins yðra Then we sit down and then the fun part begins You know, then we start fighting over the arrangements And, <laughs> and because the song sounded so haunting I suggested a dance beat to this to this and I was first and foremost inspired by Amanda Lear. You know her? Yeah, of course. I'm getting on, I'm moving on. And from now address I should be difficult. Hinsti Dance is my Amanda Lear song and I love her album Sweet Revenge it's intelligent disco music and I sit down and I write these kind of dark decadent lyrics to this and I, and I thought to myself okay the whole thing has to be decadent and at the time I really had no idea how it would end or what the outcome would be I can watch this performance on YouTube to this day, and I'm still happy with it. Kristals kaffari Perfur postuli Demarnar í matin Ásti eftir ég En ég elski that it was an experimental thing to do but the whole time I thought to myself okay someone has to go and do something because Eurovision was really standing still in time very few people had any interest in watching this the singles even the people who won the contest they hardly sold any singles so it, it was a risky project even though you know to this day I don't care where I ended up you know, where did I end up? 18th place? We, we, we come to that soon. You have you have answered 18 questions already that I haven't even asked you. <laughs> we come there, we come there. But I must ask you first, you were the first open gay artist ever on a Eurovision stage. And you talked here about the song, it was very risky. Were you born with courage? Mm, I don't know. but I But I do know that I am born into a middle class family here in Iceland. My parents were a lot older than me. Well, I at least I thought so. They vividly remembered Icelandic farmers and Icelandic sailors, Icelandic fishermen. They they simply were a part of a generation that that are taken almost by the throat from the countryside, from the fishing villages to this huge 
concrete asphalt jungle called Reykjavik and you were supposed to get into some apartment in there, have seven children and shut the fuck up. And that's what they did. You know, that's what my parents did. So um, I, I wouldn't say that my parents had the courage that I have. It took me a long time to understand the, where they actually come from. I'm 17 when I come out. And the only reason why I came out is because I fell in love in 1987. I was the nerd in class. I was not one of the hot guys. I never realized that I could actually be sexual. I never looked uh, looked upon myself that way until the day that I really fell head over heels in love with another guy. And these emotions of love were so overpowering that it really was no problem for me to come out of the closet. I really didn't care what they said. I really didn't. It, it was more important for me to let this relationship work out. And then it didn't. And that's the story of my life. But here I am, a gay pop star in Iceland. How did the Icelandic people react to the fact that you should represent? They loved it. They were just curious to see what I was going to do. And little did they know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had already doing some risque shows here in Iceland. When I was in college, we did an Icelandic translation of the Rocky Horror Show. And it was more than a school production. It was a real happening, really. And right after school, I started doing drag shows with my best friend. He's even my best friend to this day, Marius Sverrisson. And the two of us, we were like the leading drag queens of Iceland. I feel like I've been in drag since 1991. And it doesn't stop. And I'm still doing it. So the Icelandic public, they didn't know what to make of this. But when they actually saw the broadcast, you know, from Dublin, you know, they went nuts. They loved it. I only got a positive reaction from everybody. That, that somebody dragged Eurovision into the future. The contest was held in Dublin, as you said. What do you remember from the host city? Oh, my God. I felt like I was home. You know that Icelandic people are literally one-third Irish. The Vikings from Norway and Sweden, you know, when they were, you know, discovering Iceland, they usually had a stopover in Ireland and before coming to Iceland. And in Ireland, they stole a lot of the most beautiful-looking people there. <laughs> and, uh, and they kept them here as slaves so Iceland is, in a way, based on white slavery. Now, when I come to Dublin, I felt like I was home. And we also share these. You know, this is also the reason why we have all those hard R's and T's in our language, you know, which can be find, found in, in Ireland, but not exactly in, in Norway or Sweden or Denmark. So I felt like home. And... When you're entering the contest, you're you're treated like a queen. You know, you're you're treated like a like a major pop star, even if you're not. You know, <laughs> even if it's a it's like a parallel universe where you are a star. And Did you became friends with any of the other delegations? The funny thing is that in 1997, I I actually sat next to Katrina and the Waves. Because we were actually side by side in the running order. So in the green room, 
you know, our sofas were like crammed together. And she was super nice. The whole time she, she was saying stuff like I was stealing the show. <laughs> and then it was, I was really happy for her when she actually won. Gigantic victory. And the Dutch girls, Mrs. Einstein, we became great friends. Eastern European countries were, were, were knocking on the door at the time. Yeah, we let them in in 94, so some of them were in. It happened uh, over time. Eurovision 1997 in Dublin for me were the best consecutive seven days of my life. Uh, the only one who really wanted to be treated like a star was Alla Pugacheva from Russia. Of course. She was the only one who would not get on a fucking bus. Well, the rest of us performers were crammed on this bus and it was usually a lot of fun but she didn't know she needed her own limousine and nobody realized how big she really was in russia until kind of afterwards and but we loved her she always nailed it she really nailed it every time yeah a real prima donna any favorites this year of the other countries yes on the day of the contest uh, after having heard the songs a million times uh, i actually had the the french song from funny on my brains I remember that. She ended up seventh. 18 points only. Were you no, surprised? I was kind of surprised. The audience went crazy <laughs> over this. When we realized what was happening, you know, I immediately, like many other people, I noticed the countries making experiments with televoting. Those countries actually gave points in my favor. Yes. And, and those countries uh, you're talking about is the United Kingdom, Switzerland, Austria, Germany, and Sweden that tested the televoting for the first time in the Eurovision history. And of those 18 points, you got 16 points from them. Sweden gave you eight, and the uh, United Ki Kingdom gave you six. And I understand that because of this, the EBU had a meeting uh, the day after, and of course they had to discuss how the televoting came out, they immediately found out that there was this huge gap between the official juries and then the televoters. But, but I understand from the EBU that because of me, they made this decision 
that in 1998, it would be full on televoting and see what happens. Dana International won. I felt victorious for her. <laughs> When Dana International wins, that was a milestone moment. And to all of us, we, we sensed that, okay, Eurovision is saved. It's here to stay. The level of interest from the public was so much bigger when the public actually had a saying with the outcome. And she really had a good song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a classic. Swedish commentator this year. Uh, his name was Jan Jingrid and he was a very angry guy this night. And when it was your turn, he said, we have saved the worst for last and no. this is a piece of real bad taste. And you were not the only artist he offended. How did the journalists and the press for the other countries, how did they treat you in Dublin? Uh, if anything, they were super nice. They were super wonderful. I remember at one of the press meetings, I was asked the question if I was worried if my homosexuality would be a burden for me in my career. I replied, no, I don't believe that. I'm here to prove to you that regardless of your sexuality, you can actually have a good career. If the songs you sing are good, if you believe in the words you're singing, yeah. if you and you make the audience believe you and connect with you, then no, your sexuality should not be in the way. I got a round of applause from from all the journalists who probably all happened to be gay. <laughs> 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 but I also one of the reasons why I came out before I started working professionally as a musician is uh, that I also admired when I was a teenager so many musicians who were, were actually in the closet and I didn't know that they were gay until so much later I loved George Michael Elton John Boy George the Patcher Boys, all of these guys were in the closet when they were actually having number one hits. Even Freddie Mercury, you know. Yeah. Okay, I don't know if they be a sign of the times or if they were kept in the closet. I don't know if the record companies wanted them to be in the closet. And when George Michael is busted at this men's room and when you hear of Freddie Mercury dying of AIDS, I've, I've thought to myself, no, I, I feel like someone's stabbing a knife in my back. And I don't want my audience to feel the same. I'd rather come out regardless of the consequences. How was the reaction when you came back to Iceland after this memorable performance? They kind of loved me before I went there but they just loved me more when i came home 
<laughs> but the next three years turned out to be probably the most difficult years of my life. Here in Iceland, you know, it's a small country. We, we are 360,000 people. You can actually live here making music, but nobody here in Iceland, you know, is a pop star on the level of owning limousines and a swimming pool in your back garden. Also, Iceland people do not view celebrities the way that they are probably idolized in America, for example. I've always been the boy next door, really. Yeah. So when you do Eurovision in Iceland, everybody in Iceland has their eyes upon you and no one else for six months. You know, you usually win a pre-selection in January, and then the contest is is done in May. After so much focus, you know, Icelanders usually become tired of you. You either have to start doing something else, unless you have made it big. The exception to this rule is, for example, Stjortin, who came fourth in 1990, became a huge pop star in Iceland. And it didn't matter where they played in Iceland. It was always a packed house. You know, they could have played seven times a week and it would have been a packed house every day. Also, when Selma came second in 1999, she enjoyed a great, massive career. And she has proven herself not only as a singer, but also as a great director doing theater. Uh, and I think Selma really played her cards well. You're all out of Me, on the other hand, right after Eurovision 97, I got a phone call from Germany. And I think I've performed in literally every German small town there is. From 1997 to 1999, I did all the both Eurovision conventions and also gay pride festivals. I, I did all the European countries except for Spain. It was really expensive. I usually ended up paying the bills. There was no income, really, from all these gigs. And then I make an album called Deep Inside Paul Oscar. And that album really had no hits, sadly. It has good songs, but it didn't sell. And I literally woke up in the year 2000, January 2000, I woke up literally bankrupt. And I really had to think things over from scratch. Uh, I wish it would have been in a perfect world, you know, I would have gotten some help, but I simply didn't. But what I got out of it was performing at all these queer festivals. I took notes and these notes I brought home. And in 1999, we started celebrating gay pride with like 1,000 people. That's about it. But it grew and grew and grew. And today, 
Reykjavik Pride is a festival that, that attracts 100,000 people downtown. It's one third of the population that shows up at a queer festival. And if, if it was supposed to happen like that, fine. I'm really happy. I made a huge comeback in Iceland in 2007. Uh, I did an album called Allt fyrir Austina, and I think that's my best album to date. And it all started all over again, and I became this major pop star again, even a bigger one that I, than I've ever been in my life. And I thought to myself, okay, you know, this will last for two years or so. It will be over. Enjoy. But here I am. It's 2020, and I'm 50 years old. Have you been asked to represent Iceland in Eurovision again? I actually did send a song in um, the pre-selections in 2007 because I knew I had a winning song in my hands. And I promised to myself that, okay, if I'm going to take part in Eurovision again, uh, I cannot show up with, a, with an experimental song again. Uh, this time around, uh, I'm here to win. It has to be a winning melody, you know, knocks you dead within three minutes, like Euphoria does. You have to carefully construct every second of the song to an audience sitting at home, you know, watching this, blah, you know, probably 90% of the people who are watching the show are seeing the songs for the first time. You know, us, the fans, are probably 10%, 20% of the whole audience, do you think? Yeah, maybe 10%. Yeah. You know, so <clears throat> you have to, and here I am, I showed up, with a carefully constructed song in 2007. Guess what? Ruv said no to that song because one of the songwriters was Swedish. And, and what was his name? Niklas Kings. And in those days, the rules at Ruv in Iceland were that the songwriters and the lyric writers had to be Icelandic, born and raised. The only exception would be if the songwriter was of a different origin he had to have lived in iceland for at least six months <laughs> so okay. that's why they said no but i thought to myself you know i was devastated for five minutes and then i thought to myself okay if they say no to this song it's so good that i know it's going to be a hit other circumstances and it sure did it the song is called Alt fyrir Ástina. song i did it was my comeback hit to this day it's one of my it's one of my biggest anthems i i still believe that it could have fucking won i'm sure of it the best songs that have ever come out of me are always happy accidents and i'm pushing some buttons and i ask what does this button do <coughs> iceland's first song in eurovision was in 1986 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this was because of the EBU membership that you didn't have before. 
And since then, Iceland has sent many fantastic songs, but also some controversial contributions. And then I think about Hatari in the last year and mm. Sylvia Knight 2006 that insulted mm-hmm. more or less everyone in Greece. True. Uh, which one do you think is the Iceland's best song ever in Eurovision? Whoa. D- did you know that uh, the Icelandic public loves and adores Nina? Nina Nina This is the Icelandic anthem. It really is. You cannot go to a bar or a club in Iceland without everybody in the bar singing Nuna Hjalmir, Nina. It's it's a real anthem. I must confess, I think the best Icelandic Eurovision entry ever is All Out of Luck. Great pop song, beautiful production. It, it was the perfect tune for the times. It forecasted what, what was going to come. I like all of the luck the, the most to this day. This was fantastic to, t- to speak with you, Paul Oscar. Ivy, my yes. pleasure. Do you know what? I'm amazed that you guys remember me from 1990, goddamn seven. I, I, I'm really taken. I'm really grateful. Thank you for your time. Take care of yourself and we keep in touch. Definitely. Yeah, yeah super. Ivy. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.